electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Carl Quintanilla and John Fort. This hour, Microsoft cuts 10,000 jobs. Why Satya's warning, <coughs> excuse me, of a severe slowdown in spending, plus its pending deal for Activision. One year later, then we're back in Davos with an exclusive for the CEO of MasterCard. <coughs> Retail sales indicating a weak consumer to close out the holiday season. His outlook for Q1 is next. Later, Morgan Stanley likes Uber as its top pick for 2023. Why they think a near 90% upside is coming for that stock this year. Plus, we will hear from CEO Dara Khazar-Shahi. And uh, let's get a check on the markets with stocks looking for direction on the back of weaker than expected inflation data and falling yields. Right now, you can see the overall indices not doing too much. The Dow is down about 150 points. The S&P about flat. And the NASDAQ also about flat, maybe peeking into the green a little bit. NASDAQ aiming for its seventh straight positive day, something that didn't happen at all last year, that many days in a row. Plus, energy and discretionary are your leaders. Staples and utilities, the so-called safety plays, lagging. Chip sector getting a nice bump with Seagate. Qualcomm and NXP leading, and Moderna leading the S&P after announcing that vaccine targeting RSV can prevent the disease in older adults. Carl. Uh, John, today's feed begins with more cost cutting for big tech. Microsoft laying off 10,000 employees, or about 5% of the workforce. CEO Satya Nadella announcing that decision this morning in a memo shared with staff. This comes after Axios reported Microsoft had laid off about 1,000 employees this past October. And, of course, Microsoft is just the latest big tech company looking to improve efficiency. Meta, Amazon, Coinbase, Salesforce, and others have all made similar moves. NASDAQ's chief, Adina Friedman, joined Squawk Box this morning in Davos and had this to say about how tech companies are navigating the current environment. This notion of growth at all costs is, is gone for some period, you know, for the foreseeable future. I, I, the cost of capital is real. So money costs money. Um, and so access to capital is going to have some sort of consequence. That will make it so companies are making more discerning investment choices in terms of how to grow and expand their business. They're going to be focused on cash flow a little bit more, I think probably a lot more. Uh, and then I think investors are going to underwrite companies that can show profitable growth or a clear path to profitability. Uh, it's interesting, uh, D. You know, Nadella's memo is, is pretty instructive. He talks a lot about companies trying to do uh, more or the same with less, although half the memo is about investing in things like the next wave, in his words, of computing, and that is uh, open AI. Not missing an opportunity exactly to point to JetGBT and open AI, something that has been all the buzz here and beyond. Um, that notion, though, that Adina Friedman brought up of growth at all costs um, no longer really being in vogue, that really has been playing out Throughout the markets, John, over the last year or so, both in public and private, some of the most interesting disruptive companies have been built on that easy money idea. Certainly, we've been tracking this as it goes away. More 
stodgy, perhaps boring businesses are gaining favor. And of course, that profitability that we're always talking about. Yeah, I mean, they don't get hyped as much, but some of these stodgy businesses are, are actually pretty good. I, I think the impact on startups and the IPO market on this time is clear. You got to generate cash. Don't expect a lot of money to be raised in the next 18 to 24 months. The IPO market's going to be iffy. But what about the impact on bigger companies? I think for them, it's not so much about the cost of capital. It's about the opportunity cost of capital, right? Every dollar you send on, uh, spend on something good is a dollar mm-hmm. you don't have to spend on something great. And these are the periods of time where the giants tend to stumble. Think about around 2000, right? Right before the dot-com bust. That's when we saw open source, the PC as digital hub taking off, and not everybody was prepared for that. Uh, Seven to 10 years later, we saw mobile and cloud taking off, and people kind of saw that coming, but Mm -hmm. but a lot of the big companies weren't prepared for that. Now, I think what Nadella is signaling is we think it's going to be AI-related. We're keeping our eye on the ball. We're going to continue to invest there even as we cut. We'll have to see if they get it right. He points to that exact notion. Part of that letter, Satya says, Satya Nadella says, these are the kind of hard choices we have had to make throughout our 47-year history to remain a consequential company in this industry that's unforgiving for anyone who doesn't adapt to platform shifts. So that's sort of what you're saying. Do you have to note, Carl, that as we hear more cuts at some of the giants, but also some of the smaller tech companies, Alphabet remains sort of the elephant in the room, the only one on an island that hasn't made major cuts, they're expected to have hired, what, 6,000 employees this past quarter when everyone else seems to be cutting? Yep, I know you probably read the uh, Bernstein desk note this morning in which they say, <laughs> hey, Google, uh, your island is getting lonelier, referring to the prospect of layoffs. Exactly. Uh, interesting, too, John, at Microsoft, the uh, emphasizing hardware less on a day where we did get that downgrade of uh, IBM over at Morgan Stanley and this argument that in an early cycle environment, they tend to underperform, taking some chips off the table. Yeah, I'm gonna be a little controversial here. I mean, these are, these are real cuts and they're painful for, of course, the people and the families that are experiencing them. I'm not sure these are major cuts, especially given how much some of these companies have grown over the last two, three years. I think Microsoft staffed up more than 70,000 employees since 2019, cutting 10,000. Okay. All right. Well, apart from Microsoft's massive layoffs, if they are massive, it's some layoffs. It's facing another major issue. Today marks one year since the company announced its intention to acquire Activision Blizzard for nearly $69 billion. Still hasn't sealed the deal. Microsoft has faced pushback from uh, competition, including Sony, Google, NVIDIA. It's currently being sued by the Federal Trade Commission, and now the EU is reportedly set to issue its own antitrust warning. Joining us now is The Verge editor-in-chief, CNBC contributor, Neil Patel, and CNBC technology correspondent, Steve Kovac. Guys, welcome. Neil, let me start with you. I mean, I don't know if anybody would have expected this deal to go through in a year, but I think it's pretty clear Microsoft's overpaying for Activision Blizzard. How much are some of these expensive acquisitions that are waiting in the wings playing out in the amount of cost that some of these companies might have to cut now? Yeah, I think it's very real for Microsoft. And they gave themselves 18 months to close this deal, right? Their their targeted timeline is June. So we're a year in, and on their own schedule, they have six months. I think they always knew this would be a regulatory slog. I just think for Microsoft in this moment, the question is, how much do you want to spend your time on integrating this other huge company that has pretty massive culture problems, that's going to make you figure out video game unions, all this stuff? 
all this baggage of Activision is pointed at one thing, mobile game revenue. When I talk to Xbox CEO, Microsoft Games CEO, Phil Spencer on the Decoder podcast, he said, look, everyone's focused on Call of Duty. I'm looking at Candy Crush. Microsoft doesn't play in mobile. When you look at this letter from Nadella, that line about platform shifts that Dee brought up is really important. The biggest layoffs in Microsoft's history, 14,000, that was Nadella shuttering Windows Phone and getting rid of Nokia. This is his second line. This is the second time, these are the second biggest layoffs, 10,000. And, he, and he's saying, there's a platform shift coming. Now, is he gonna fight the next war, AI, whatever it might be? Or is he gonna spend his time trying to buy mobile game revenue to fund what comes next? I think that's hmm. a pretty big open question. Steve, uh, Satya Nadella got the last transition right. Azure mm-hmm. is number two behind Amazon. He was sort of the, the guy. The he took under- over, he said, that's, what we're go- that's where we're going. Mm-hmm. He was the guy under Balmer who, who was focused in that direction. The previous one, Microsoft got wrong, right? The, the shift to, yes, web and mobile. So how do they look in, in this transition? How are they positioned, do you think, versus the competition uh, if it is AI, we don't even right. know, but if it is AI, how do they look? Well, let's go back to what, what's next, too. Remember, a year ago, they were on our air, Bobby Kodak from Activision and Phil Spencer from Microsoft saying, this is a metaverse play. That was, that was their, <laughs> their top line. I knew you were going to laugh at that. That was their top line reason for this acquisition, because think back, a year ago, the hype around the metaverse hadn't burst yet. Meta hadn't, you know, had its downfall in its stock price and so forth. So they had to kind of appease investors and say, look, we're thinking about the metaverse, too. We know you guys are all geeked out on this concept, so we're going to do it, too. I haven't heard Brad Smith from Microsoft say the word metaverse in basically since that day as he's trying to push this deal forward. It's all about gaming. In addition to mobile, to Neelai's point, it's about cloud, too. It's about growing that Azure business, the original Satya Nadella thesis that this is going to be a cloud company. They want subscriptions for that Xbox cloud gaming service. They see that as the next frontier in gaming. You don't need to buy a, you know, an expensive console. You don't need to just a screen and an internet connection, and you can play all our games. That is the vision. That's why they're spending $69 mm-hmm. billion. So as they're laying off 10,000 people today on the one-year anniversary of this deal, they're saying, hey, we're going to spend $69 billion to buy this video game company. And on top of that, we have these reports that they're going to dump $10 billion more into OpenAI slash ChatGPT. Yeah. And, and, and meanwhile, they've got to worry about the Azure business, which analysts are increasingly getting a little worried about. Uh, Neelay and Steve, we spoke to the only sell rating, the analyst behind the only sell rating for Microsoft yesterday. And he said that most... People do see Microsoft as a company that can weather the storm, but it does have vulnerabilities, um, some of which could be exacerbated by the slowdown. So, Neelay, how much of this has amounted to this regulatory slog been a distraction, a really critical point for the company? I think it's been a distraction. I think Microsoft thinks it's absolutely going to beat the FTC in this country. Their confidence about the quality of that lawsuit is off the charts. I don't think they're very worried about that. I think particularly in the United States, Microsoft uh, is excellent at working at the government. It's a huge government contractor. It's good at this country. I think you add on the pressure of the EU warning that's to come. You add on the pressure of integrating a company like Activision. And maybe that calculation starts to change a little bit. But there's a reason they gave themselves 18 months to close this deal. I think they saw all this coming. The big question for me, even with the cloud stuff, the, the Microsoft is able to do cloud streaming the way they want to do it because they run Azure. They have to decide that that is a market they can be in, that Apple will let them do game streaming on the phone, which is still way up in the air, and they can expand the market for gaming 
on mobile, which is the only place gaming is growing, with either streaming or this acquisition of a mobile games company? And I think that's still a pretty big question mark. It is. And then there's a profit question. Even if you can't grow the top line, if you can get better margins, that's always good. Nilay, Steve, thank you. Thanks. Coming up after the break, we're live in Davos with the CEO of MasterCard. The stock a big outperformer over the last 12 months. We'll ask him about today's PPI number, a slowing consumer, retail sales, crypto, and more when TechCheck continues. Just getting started with the Dow, now it's session lows, down 265. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Tech Check. Retail sales falling just over 1% in December, slightly more than the even 1% forecast, potentially indicating a cooler consumer. What does it all mean, though, for the payment processors? Let's get over to Davos, Switzerland today, where our Sarah Eisen joins us with the CEO of MasterCard. Hi again, Sarah. Hi, Carl. Yes, I am here with Michael Mibach. He is the CEO of MasterCard. It's good to see you. Hi, Sarah. Good to see you. Carl was just talking about retail sales. What's your read right now globally right. on the consumer? Right. So the consumer has been resilient. So that, that, that's the headline. And uh, you know, if you peel the onion a bit, what you generally see is, depending on the country, um, the inflation is clearly a trend that is global, but the impact on the consumer has been different country by country, depending on policy reactions, uh, a few gives and takes on um, how our rates raised and so forth, how that is playing out. But there's a few common trends that cut across the world for the consumer. Um, the first one that I would call out is that there's been a shift uh, post-COVID from buying goods, stuff, essentially, services. because we we're all stuck at home into services, number one. Uh, number, could that, that, you see that continuing? Yeah, that is continuing. Uh, that is continuing really not impacted by higher inflation rates. People make ends work. And that is the second trend. That is consumers trying to find ways to make ends meet and make choices. So if I still want to go out because I haven't been able to do this, what do I do? I make discretionary trade-offs. I'd say, okay, I have to pay for my food. Obviously, I will do that. But then I buy less goods. Yeah, the trade-off making all of this work for the household budget is another one. Um, there, there's another impact here in terms of low unemployment rates um, and uh, higher wages. Yeah. Uh, that is, again, different uh, country by country and so forth. So broadly speaking, as a result of all of this, the consumer still keeps uh, being resilient. And that is a good sign when we look at the economy. In, in the U.S. in particular, though, we, we are watching for things like delinquencies and rising credit card debt. Right. What are you seeing on that front? 
So we're not actually seeing that because we're the network that connects uh, you know, consumers to banks and uh, places where they want to buy something. Um, but if you look across the industry and we talk to our financial services partners, banks and the like, we're still finding our way back to, uh, to pre-crisis delinquency levels on the long-range normal. So it's still in below-average territory. There will be people that feel the pinch a bit more, of course, and others that feel it less. But as a general trend from a consumer behavior perspective, to be willing to tap into credit more than they have before to make those trade-offs that I talked about So earlier. you're not seeing anything recessionary coming necessarily, are you? We're not. No, we're not. At all? No sign, really, of a, a no. sharper slowdown? At, the, at this point in time, the, making, making things work, resilience is the name of the game. If you look ahead into next year, I think these gives and takes on what's positive and what might be negative uh, will continue. We'll see how long... Uh, the uh, central banks and around the world will keep raising rates to make sure that inflation is END and curbed. That will be one part of the answer, but we don't see any near-term recessionary trends. So what about inflation? Because we are seeing the rate moderate a right. bit, and inflation has actually been helpful to your business. So, so where does that stand now? Is that good or bad? Well, fundamentally, uh, you know, inflation, longer term inflation at higher levels is never good for anybody. So that's the starting point. But, you know, medium, short term, uh, moderate inflation has been good for our business because it raises the overall volume. But this is the kind of, re- you know, the kind of impact on a business you don't really want as you look at I'd rather have a, a sound economy. So all in all, how fast all do you see it coming down from here? Um, we... Uh, you know, looking around uh, the world, we will, we're expecting that rates will continue to be raised by central banks until you really see them, uh, the economic activity moderate. Mm-hmm. So not in a, in a short while. Not in a short while. What about uh, China and, and the reopening of the economy? Right. What's the impact uh, <laughs> on spending? So, so Northeast Asia has been shot um, and now it's starting to really uh, gain a lot of momentum. So I think we should all uh, look forward with... Uh, optimism on what that will do for the global economy. Um, We have seen throughout the last two years, whenever travel restrictions have been removed, people just travel. They go and they go out and we expect the same thing here and it's going to be big volume as people travel around the world. Cross-border travel. Domestic travel starting in China, obviously, as people travel there, but uh, more impact uh, for us uh, globally. um, Going to the classic tourist destinations that we've seen Chinese travel in. That was a big part of our business before, um, and it will come back. We, um, we unveiled the Just Capital rankings for business right. recently on, on CNBC, and, and you scored very well, right. um, particularly high marks when it comes to workers, taking care of your employees, communities. Right. Also, you were number one. And I'm curious how you think about that in an environment where now we have a tight labor market, right. but we're also starting to see layoffs across tech and financial services, right. both places where you play. You know, f- fundamentally, when you, when you look at the labor market overall, um, where we look for talent, that's a, it's a part of the labor market that's still hotly contested. You think engineering talent, you think uh, emerging technologies, artificial intelligence. So you really have to put your bet for, uh, best foot forward to attract and retain uh, talent in that space. I mean, everybody who works at MasterCard matters, uh, but that's a good starting point to orient yourself and st- uh, you know, set the level on what we need to do. Are you hiring? Uh, we're still hiring. Uh, we're still hiring. The payment business has been more competitive than ever before. We have a more digital economy, so we are growing. Therefore, we need to hire. In terms of things that we do that, that led to this uh, 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 ranking is we give flexibility um, on you know, the work front and how do you want to organize your life, work from office, work from home. 
um, we have we give our employees an opportunity to engage with their passions, their passions outside of the job. For example, let's say you have a particular NGO that you support, you can get the time to spend time on that and use corporate resources to support that. Mm -hmm. Another example, um, we tied our compensation for all employees to our ESG goals. And a lot of mission-driven people that say, hey, you know, that's the kind of place I want to work for. So we play the values, we play the benefits, we play the flexibility and all that together makes an attractive package. Ha and then, people happy. And you have a brand like MasterCard that, you know, who wouldn't want to work for MasterCard? Okay, so I have to ask you, Michael, you have right. been one of the more aggressive and bullish in the industry on crypto. Right. Have the, the recent events in the last few months changed right. your mind? So I think it's important to uh, distinguish between crypto investment assets, um, you know, non-backed uh, cryptocurrency vis-a-vis -vis where we have been bullish. We have been bullish on blockchain technology and what it can solve. So that's really where our investment went, that, uh, where we went out to the market to partner with, uh, with banks and so forth and see how can we further optimize cross-border payments, make them cheaper, more effective and things like that. That's where our focus was. Um, so the noise that we have, unfortunate noise in the crypto winter, and those are things that uh, we're staying close to to make sure that uh, we protect MasterCard holders there. But it's really the focus on technology and what can it do. And as a network, what we generally do, we enable broader ecosystems as we enable banks today on the payment side. Here we went out with consulting services for crypto, mm -hmm. with custody services. If, you know, There's a partner of ours that wants to enable their customers to hold crypto. We don't do that. But then we get licensed partners in with regulatory compliance that offer these kind of services. So we we're believe not backtracking. That we're not backtracking. We believe in the potential of the technology and we support the ecosystem overall with what we generally do, connecting people. Michael Mibach, thank you for taking the time to talk to us here in Davos. Appreciate thank it. Thanks, good, Sarah. good to get an update. Uh, CEO of MasterCard. Uh, I will be back with some interviews for closing bell guys from Davos, Switzerland. We've got ServiceNow CEO. Bill McDermott on the outlook for tech spending, of course, big, big player, as you guys both know, and CEO of PepsiCo, Ramon Lagarta, on global consumer demand. You just heard from Michael Meebach, which he says yeah. remains pretty resilient. Doesn't see yeah, a recession. He, Deirdre, back that over was to his, That was his headline, right, Sarah? The consumer remains resilient. And that's something we heard from the Uber CEO also this morning, who was at Davos, Davos Rashahi. He is not pumping the brakes despite the broader volatility. Offering his outlook in an interview earlier with Squawk Box. Take a listen. Consumer spend remains strong. Uh, and a lot of people are thinking about, well, there's a recession coming, et cetera. There's demand weakness. We obviously haven't announced our results, but generally, I'd say across the world, the consumer stays strong, and we're a consumer company in terms it's of demand. Khosrow Shahi adding that the company is actively hiring with no plans to slow down. Those comments coming as Morgan Stanley names Uber one of their top picks for 2023, bullish on rideshare growth, giving the stock a $54 price target. That is more than 85% upside from the current levels. Guys, we've talked a lot about this. The street remains very bullish on Uber. It is a good time for Dara Khosrow Shahi. I mean, he told me months ago as well that there's been no slowdown. Ridesharing is well positioned for this. And even food delivery um, has been maybe stickier than some had thought. But, of course, John, that hasn't changed much, the profitability picture. Uber still lost, what, almost a billion dollars over the last 12 months. It's fascinating watching these storylines play chicken. Carl, I, I could swear that the savings rate was coming way down. 
that consumers were loading up their credit cards quite a bit and that Jamie Dimon, maybe some others were saying just weeks ago that around mid-2023, there was going to have to be a reckoning as far as that goes and the consumer might be tapped out unless things change. Right now, we see companies cutting their workforce, but also saying the consumer's fine, even as we have these retail numbers that suggest the consumer wasn't feeling exactly as fine in December as they were in November, and they weren't feeling that fine in November. I don't know. Uh, yeah, although uh, some of the more bullish commentary we've gotten sort of pivots around the idea, guys, that energy prices are low, financial mm -hmm. conditions have been loosening a bit. Obviously, excess savings is getting drawn down maybe a little more slowly than we previously thought, D. And if you were to throw Uber in with transportation stocks and some of these airline names that are literally up almost 40 percent <laughs> since the beginning of the year, uh, people want to move around. Yeah, it's that services versus goods shift, uh, John, which may be why retail sales are, you know, lacking, but people are still going out. They're still traveling, still using Ubers and their MasterCards. Meanwhile, guys, after the break, media's recession playbook names like Warner Brothers, Discovery, Roku, Disney and Paramount. They are also surging to start the year. Plus, Netflix reports after the bell tomorrow. So how will the companies deal the company deal with a slowing consumer? Tech Check is back in just two minutes. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. So far, it's been a pretty good year for media names. Uh, names like Netflix, Paramount, Warner Brothers, all seen double-digit percent gains. In fact, Warner Brothers up 38%. But can that last as recession fears loom over the consumer and investors? Our Julia Borston has more on that this morning. Hi, Julia. Hey, Carl. Well, Netflix kicks off media earnings tomorrow afternoon at a time when an economic downturn could reveal weakness in the ad industry and consumer spending. While the media giant stocks have surged in the first few weeks of 2023, as you mentioned, Carl, they did far underperform the S&P in the past 12 months. And now these companies are cutting back. They're doing layoffs as they struggle to transition from chasing subscriber growth to focusing on profitability. Ad-supported tiers are in focus as the media giants work to attract and retain cash-strapped consumers. We're watching for indications of how Disney and Netflix's new lower-cost ad-supported offerings are doing so far. Now, ads are also in focus for Paramount. Its shares suffered after it lowered its fourth-quarter ad revenue forecast, but its free ad-supported Pluto could have an advantage with consumers. Meanwhile, for Warner Brothers Discovery, we're waiting for details of the combined streaming service that's set to launch this spring. We'll also see how ads come into play there. J.P. Morgan warning, quote, direct-to-consumer platforms need to right-size their content offerings and consolidate to achieve linear levels of profitability. Raising price while rationalizing content offers could challenge subscriber growth. Now, another thing to watch, Comcast and Disney's parks could also give us a sense of the health of the consumer. Up until now, the parks business has been pretty robust. Carl? Uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting week for media beginning really tomorrow, Julia, with Netflix. I've seen a couple pieces of commentary arguing that we might get more on password sharing than the uh, ad tier. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's still very early days for the ad tier. There's been a lot of noise about how well or poorly the ad business has been going for Netflix. So I think we may get some information, but it's still very much early days. I think password sharing is going to be a key way that Netflix really maximizes its user base. They have a lot more people watching Netflix than are paying for it. So I do think that um, that's going to be a big focus for the company, and we could learn more about it tomorrow. But we'll be talking about it more tomorrow, tomorrow Carl. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll watch it today. Truist does uh, up their target, though, to 339. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Thanks, Julia. John? Yeah, after the break, is tech positioned for a long-term bounce? The Nasdaq coming off its seventh positive session in a row, for the first time since its 11-day win streak in November of 2021. We're going to talk with one strategist who says a massive rally might be coming. Don't go away. Welcome back to Tech Check. Get a check on stocks this morning. Uh, we have seen some weakness creep in uh, mid-session here. The average is now at session lows pretty much. Dow down 341. S&P did open above 4K, but now settling back. Some of the big movers at this hour, Oatly getting a boost, though off the highs. After being upgraded to buy from neutral over at Mizuho, the firm is positive on plant-based beverages going forward. We should note it's a very small stock. United with that earnings beat across the board, guiding Q1 above forecast, but sector is beginning to fall with the broader market today. Charles Schwab falling after a fourth quarter earnings miss as banking fees came into light today. Deep, all right, John. All right, Carl, staying with the markets, wholesale prices falling sharply for the month of December. That news, not enough to keep the NASDAQ in the green today, though. The index looking to break a rare seven-day win streak. We didn't see a rally of this length at all in 2022. The recent momentum has our next guest feeling optimistic. He points out that the NDX has held its uptrend all through 2022 and adds if this improving internal positive picture holds, we could see a breakout in tech. Joining us now, Northman Trader founder Sven Henrik. Sven, morning. Now, hold on a I think about a month ago, we talked to you. The Nasdaq and S&P were about at this level. You said we had a recession coming, uh, that the Fed was going to cut in 23, despite what they were saying and that rallies were selling opportunities. Do I have that wrong? No, that's exactly right. I mean, the the, the fact is that uh, you see it again today, uh, talkish speak despite falling data, they're still on their very much higher for longer narrative and that will ultimately risk a recession unless they flip-flop at the right time. My, my sense is that rates or rather inflation is gonna continue to come down and it's gonna challenge their, their hawkish narrative. What we've seen since September and October is a dramatic rollover in yields and the dollar, which were obviously headwinds in 2022, but are now turning out to be tailwinds. So despite all the hawkish talk, financial conditions have actually been easing, and that's obviously contributed to the rally action and dip buying action that we've seen in the recent months. I mean, that's what I'm wondering about. The people seem to be taking this like sort of a warm bath. Like people are like, oh, yeah, the soft landing, that's going to happen now. Look how well things are turning out. Why would the Fed have to cut rates in late 2023 unless there's a harsh recession, which it seems like now the, the popular wisdom anyway is isn't going to happen? Well, I don't know why everyone is insisting on that. I mean, the, 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 the fact is we, we, we are tightening the fastest tightening path into the highest debt construct ever. And we're seeing key economic data rolling over. Look at the industrial production today. Yesterday, we had the New York Fed index dropping dramatically and today also retail sales. So the, 
the, the the challenge is to negotiate between slowing growth, but the lag effects of these rate hikes from next year or from last year are going to start taking hold further. So I think there's a really, really narrow window and uh, the Fed ultimately will be challenged in, in staying on this, this hawkish. Now, okay. the tailwinds I just mentioned. We're seeing evident in, in the market action, specifically in the internals. What we saw this week, well, the S&P today, by the way, the reason we're seeing the pullback now is because the S&P, again, hit perfectly its downtrend line that's been in, in effect since the beginning of last year. So the technicals matter. At the same time, however, we're seeing a market shift in internals, equal weight. If you look at the market in terms of equal weight and not market cap based, we've already seen a breakout. Okay. And now we need to see how this pullback kind of uh, deals with this and then possibly set up for a much larger rally still okay. before okay, so, the real recession begins. So, all right. So, yeah, most of that sounds gloomy, but you're saying this possible major rally in tech stocks because of the charts, it sounds like you're saying if we get that rally, you should sell it. What's going to spark it? Earnings uh, after all these layoffs? Well, that's that's there's the tailwinds I mentioned. The dollar coming down nearly ten percent since the peak last fall. Uh, that's that was a headwind last year in terms of earnings. Now it's a it's a tailwind to the extent layoffs are contained. They're helping margins as well. And now we're in the process where earnings are going to tell us how much is priced in vis-a-vis -vis what is yet to come at this point. Look, the, the Bears had a chance four months in a row last year into even this month in January to break the uptrend, and they haven't done so. So that's, that's to me, from a technical perspective, the, despite the Teslas, Amazons, Apple, everybody bombing in even in beginning of January, it didn't happen. That's a sign of kind of underlying technical strength. Now, yeah. if that trend breaks, then, then we're looking at new lows in, in probably everything at some point. But so far, it's holding. That's impressive. And now we have this, this tag of this downtrend, uh, which you know we're compressing. So there's going to be a decision here probably between January and February, maybe after this Fed meeting that's upcoming. And then we'll need to gauge the technical reaction. If we do get that breakout, then we have significant room to the upside, considering also that sentiment is still terribly bearish, positioning is really low. Hmm. So in, in, in principle, people are not prepared for a larger rally. Now, okay. we're in the negotiation phase now. So we're going to have to see how this plays out with earnings and the Fed meeting into early February. Yeah, that's a lot coming in the next uh, two weeks. Two weeks or Absolutely. so. Sven, thank you. Sven Henry. Thanks. Meantime, one potential reason for these session lows here, some headlines from Cleveland Fed President Mester uh, telling the AP a few moments ago that emphasizing that while inflation is cooling, more rate hikes are needed. She added that the benchmark interest rate should rise a little above uh, the five to five and a quarter that officials have projected. She does not vote in monetary policy this year, D, but in her words, I still see the larger risk mm -hmm. coming from tightening too little. Yep, and as you mentioned, uh, indexes at session lows, the NASDAQ could break that winning streak. After the break, we are live at Walmart headquarters as the company looks to go high tech. The retailer testing everything from AI and automation to in-home grocery delivery and drone order fulfillment. That story when Tech Check returns.
Welcome back to Tech Check. Retail sales for December fell more than 1%, marking the second straight month of declines. Walmart, the nation's largest retailer, has been heavily investing in tech to boost sales and protect consumer data. Frank Holland is at the Global Technology Center at Walmart headquarters and has that story. Frank, I wonder, do the folks there have their eye on the retail sales? And what does that mean for all of these investments and ambitions? Well, obviously, this company obviously keeps a close eye on the retail sales. Walmart has 230 million weekly shoppers, and those shoppers are using digital payments more and more, also making cybersecurity a growing priority. Today, Walmart is demonstrating how it secures payment info, birthdays, addresses, and medical information. We sit down with the company's chief information security officer about cybersecurity and Walmart's growing online marketplace with over 100,000 sellers, as well as its in-house buy now, pay later business. Cybersecurity is essentially important um, to new business ventures um, because they're disruptive. And anything that disrupts our business uh, causes a loss of momentum. We recognize that, that as we move into new businesses, the things that create value for our business very often create risk in our space. The CISO also addressed the shortage of 700,000 cybersecurity professionals here in the U.S., saying Walmart is actively recruiting professionals interested in transitioning into tech. The company also has 2,500 associates in an ongoing program paying full tuition for employees who are pursuing degrees in cybersecurity. Deirdre, back over to you. So, Frank, cybersecurity, it's an easy place to invest with a slowing macro backdrop. No one's going to complain. You need to make sure that your business, especially one as large as Walmart, is, is safe. Um, but what about some of their other ambitions? Walmart has had huge plans to go into live streaming through TikTok, through its own means. Um, what's the sense on the ground there that perhaps they could scale back? Or is it still, you know, full steam ahead on some of those, what do you call them, more costly tech ambitions? <laughs> Yeah, we didn't talk so much about the video streaming, but it is certainly full stream ahead when it comes to technology. According to CFRA, Walmart's CapEx is going to increase by about 25% this year. When I spoke to the CISO, he made it very clear they're continuing to spend not only on cybersecurity, but tech more broadly. He also emphasized with some of that layoff news that we got from Microsoft today that Walmart is actively hiring, especially when it comes to cybersecurity and other tech roles. Of course, though, that is dependent on revenues continuing to increase, that trend at least. So there is definitely a tie-in to that retail sales number that we saw today. But as of today, the company doesn't have plans to do any layoffs when it comes to their tech roles. And again, they are actively hiring. Frank Holland, thank you very much. Uh, it, John, that's interesting as we try and figure out um, from these companies what their enterprise spending is going to look like over the next 12 months. Yeah, um, the story's changing fast. Up next, despite the cautious commentary and layoffs, one firm naming Microsoft as its top pick coming out of a potential recession. We will look at why and check out the price of Bitcoin back above 21,000. It has now recovered all of its losses since FTX collapsed back on November 2nd. We're back in two. Welcome back to Tech Check. We're watching Microsoft today. Our next guest is bullish, uh, despite today's turmoil, naming it his number one recession pick for the long term as IT spending eventually improves. But what about if you're looking for gains today? He says to look no further than Oracle, SAP, or Workday. Joining us today, Bernstein's Mark Merdler joins us to talk first about Microsoft. Mark, thanks for the time. Um, reading the blog post, of course, we've been dissecting it all morning long. Uh, the layoffs aside, does the color that Nadella is giving us an indication of how the quarter may perform? There are those that are arguing that um, he's telegraphing that it will be a 
a weaker quarter or that the guidance for next quarter will be weak. I'm not sure I necessarily believe that. Um, I think I think a lot of what they're talking about is they're talking about shifts within the business, um, that they see the uh, this is an opportunity or a moment in time in which they need to shift around their resources and that there are areas in the business that they're going to divest, um, where divest in this instance is not selling off a business, but move out of parts of the business, underinvest in parts of business, or put parts of the business into um, into uh, some form of life support because those businesses aren't really growing. And to put the resources instead to where the core opportunity long-term will be for the business. Um, and so I think this is as much a signal of a very directed switch around within the business as this is some sort of um, big cut uh, hit in margin or other numbers. Right. Does it make you directionally less uh, bullish on hardware, for example, and, and more focused on software? Well, I think that hardware is, I mean, they basically said it here, that hardware they're going to shift around. Again, we don't know what that hardware means. They make a lot of different things. They make earphones, you know, earphones, they make mice, they make, you know, not just the Surface laptops. There's a, there's a number of things they make. And so we could see some of those products end of lifing and not continuing. Um, but no, I think the the big future in general is in, in software and cloud, because what happens is, is that the shift to software and cloud, they absorb the spending that traditionally went to hardware and other areas. Right. Uh, finally, well, talk to me about the long-term pick here uh, versus the short-term picks on Oracle SAP. How do you divide these things by timeline? I wish I knew. Um, I'd be massively uh, investing personally, which I couldn't do as part of Bernstein, if I could exactly call when that moment is. The, the problem here is, is, is the following. Um, many uh, IT organizations have not been given full year budgets for calendar year 23. They've been given stub budgets, first quarter, first half, because the CFOs just don't know how bad or how long the situation is going to be. And so we could see quarters in which um, they look great and people think, ah, we're coming out of the recession. And then the next quarter is worse in terms of IT spending. So it's tough to know. If you believe Satya Nadella, he thinks it's going to take two years till you see the the the, the acceleration and growth in IT spending. I think it's less than that. Um, but I think it's, you know, it could be a year before uh, you've got that point in which things have got as bad as they could be. And it's time to shift your investing. Um, near term, as you mentioned, um, I think Oracle and SAP and, and Workday, um, the downside risks are relatively low, especially in the case of Oracle, and the street isn't overly optimistic. They're, in fact, probably, I think, a little bit um, uh, conservative in terms of what their expectations are, which sets Oracle up well. And then, uh, you know, longer term, as we're coming out of this, Microsoft's just a machine on um, the amount of IP, the amount of capabilities, the depth and breadth of offerings here, and the ability for them to take advantage when competing against competitors who are likely going to be wounded during a period of slowing economic times or ah, full-blown that, That's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, looking for share donors. We didn't really get to um, the optionality around Activision. We'll save that for next time, but certainly an interesting mm -hmm. uh, day for Microsoft today. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks. My pleasure. All the best. And after the break, big banks, fintech stumble, Goldman's David Solomon saying the firm bit off more than it could chew. Plus, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. 
One more thing to bring the show full circle. We started with NASDAQ CEO Adina Friedman saying money costs money. And you know what else costs money? Customer acquisition. The big banks are finding that out the hard way. Goldman Sachs has burned through some $3 billion in three years with their foray into digital first consumer banking. It's Marcus Online Bank and it's Apple Partnership, which CEO David Solomon called this morning from Davos a drag. We probably took on more than we should have, you know, too much too quickly. But I think we now have a very good deposits business. We're working on our cards platform, and I think the partnership with Apple is going to pay meaningful dividends for the firm over time. We have this acquisition of Green Sky. We think it's a good business. JP Morgan, meanwhile, calling its $175 million acquisition of college aid fintech Frank a, quote, huge mistake. It is now shutting down that website and accusing the founder of inventing millions of fake accounts. So some stumbles, Carl and John, as the macro backdrop changes and fintech deals and ambitions are further scrutinized in this environment. So what was rewarded, though, in their latest quarters, net interest income, which is considerably less buzzy, less exciting, less digital first. But, John, it is still what they do best. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be exciting because that's the money that's left over, right, Carl, after you've uh, paid out the interest that you uh, have to pay and uh, you're taking in uh, what you get to take in. I just I think the fintech and financial services industries largely failed consumers over the last decade on the innovation front. I mean, the big swings were crypto, free trading and buy now, pay later. I actually think buy now, pay later might be a good thing compared to credit cards. But we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good. We've definitely spent the better part of a year talking about credit risk uh, in that space. But uh, to Dee's point uh, regarding net interest income, uh, watching yields fall back to levels that we last saw in September or October on the two and the 10 year this mm -hmm. morning in the wake of that weaker data is definitely getting some people's attention. Uh, the VIX was above, below 19 uh, to start the session, currently back above 20, but we're still down on stocks, uh, down 325 on the Dow. Of course, tomorrow going to be a very important day between Procter and Netflix or You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.